Hey guys, welcome back to the Empower Podcast. This is Byron. Um, today we have a special guest named Carlos Noguez. Now, Carlos is actually a good friend of Steve and I, um, and he's based out of San Diego and Tijuana, Mexico. He has a pretty strong background in game design, game development, board game design, and most recently, giving back to the community through organizations like Build a Miracle. And he's going to be providing insight into how he um, gives back in more detail. So, um, yeah, you guys are in for a treat today. Welcome, everyone, back to the Empower Up podcast. I believe this is episode nine. Um, and we have a special guest here, um, Carlo. Uh, how do you pronounce your last name? It's in. No guess. No guess. Uh, yeah, Carlos I don't no guess, guess, I know. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is a guest that uh, Steve and I both know from IGDA San Diego. He's always been incredibly active in the community, and I'm not sure if you still are, but you used to be on the board for IGDA. Is that isn't that right? Yeah, that was at the beginning of last year. However, it got a little bit too chaotic, uh, as we know uh, from from just uh, world events. That <laughs> I definitely stepped down from that. I've been I had been waiting so long to get in there, and then I I, I had to step down, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so he's pretty active. Um, why don't you go ahead and give us a little bit about your background, um, what you're doing now, and then we can kind of uh, go from there. Well, I'm just I'm just going to read my Twitter. I mean, um, <laughs> my my Twitter bio says most of it. Um, so I'm a uh, game designer, uh, VR enthusiast, 3D printing technician, um, and uh, I also co-host in a uh, show called Dirty Robots. And now I'm a, a kind of, I would say, like a, a pretty decent streamer. Um, I'm affiliate, so it's been it's mm-hmm. been quite good. Um, and uh, I also work alongside a charity um, called Build a Miracle. So we um, uh, help build uh, houses for people in Mexico, um, which is kind of what uh, I've been trying to tie all my stuff back into. Cool, cool. Um, so, what? I got a question for you. And one of the things I love is Build a Miracle because that's one of the organizations that I've uh, been able to to volunteer with. Um, what's the whole? What is Build a Miracle for anybody that's listening and doesn't know, uh, doesn't rec- recognize it? Okay, so basically, um, in 1999, this charity got started, and and the idea was to build one house a year. However, that snowballed into we're currently building 50 houses a year, um, except for not counting last year, uh, just because of, 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 again, world events. Um, but uh, when that charity moved on from that house building onto education, um, that was kind of like a, a major pivot that the organization had. So uh, we work with very poor communities in uh, Tijuana, Mexico, uh, in a community called El Florido. We've been with that particular community for 10 years or so. Um, and that has really um, been like the place where we've been able to build community alongside uh, of the families that we help. So it, it's really a, a self-feeding um, sort of ecosystem there where the families are not only receiving their houses, but now they're also receiving education. Um, so that's really um, like a, a wonderful uh, program that helps about... Uh, so we've built 450 homes. Um, so And then we've also helped with a bunch of other community projects um, so uh, we build everything from schools to um, uh, what's it called uh, uh, hospitals to like sports courts to parks. Um, so it really um, it it encompasses I would say around six hundred families or so get benefited by this program. Dude, that is freaking awesome! And one of the things that I love is the the focus on not just helping build homes, but also, like you mentioned, the education aspect of it, because that's one of those things where it's uh, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And that's something that it seems like you're 
this organization is absolutely taking to heart and it's not just the like the parents but it's also the kids that you're helping with projects as well um can you talk about some of the programs that you have uh regarding education specifically yeah so that's the program i'm i'm gonna be heavily involved in which is uh just the education programs uh, from the community center. We have this uh, beautiful building uh, that we were uh, granted through very small donations, basically, um, that made us have this three-story tall with like six different rooms. And that's where all of our education comes out of. Um, and it's everything from um, what's called um, beauti- a, bu- a full beautician school to mathematics English, uh, because, you know, in Mexico, if you know computer literacy, that already puts you a leg up from uh, people, um, from most uh, most of the common workers. And then if you know English, that's a different, even a higher step up, um, because a lot of companies are asking, especially in their local area, hey, can you speak English? Hey, can you can you, um, you know, work Excel? Um, you know, here they tell you, hey, don't put Excel on your resume. Um, in Mexico, they're like, you need to put Excel on your resume. And if you don't know it, you better know it. Um, so that the, the, the different, uh, sets of education are basically towards that goal for people to be able to say, Hey, like the education that I got at the community center is very directed towards, uh, self-improvement. Um, so we are a fully fledged, um, a government um, certified elementary school, middle school, and high school. Um, so we can give those degrees out to people. Uh, they go out and they take the state test, um, but they also uh, have the ability to find a sponsor to get them through college as well. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, I, I I love that. And one of the one of the things, my favorite like stories that you told me was about the robotics team and their successes. Um, can you let the fans or let the listeners know um, what that was exactly? So um, this uh, tiny team from, uh, from our community center, basically it was started by uh, Ismael. Is, uh, Ismael is a um, self-taught electrician. The guy was um, going outside and basically teaching kids about robotics with a tarp and like out in the middle of nowhere, basically would, would just go and teach these kids. That was before we had the community center. Um, and so he would teach him with Lego robotics, which was a very cool way to get him started. Well, maybe around four years after he started that, uh, Lego robotics, we had enough kids in high school that were interested in robotics to start a team. Uh, so that was 20, 19. So the 2019 team entered um, first robotics competition, which is an internationally known competition. Um, and we got to participate in um, as team 7752. So that was our, our team call. And we got to participate uh, in, in the nationals. Um, and they won second place in the novice division in that first year that they participated. And now just to give you a a profile of the other teams that were participating, they had a team from Holland. They had a team from England. They had two teams from Mexico city from Ibero, which is a, like it's a private school where, um, you know, the most rich kids go to, to get an education. Um, and, they they won uh, they won first prize. So um, in fact, one of the, the kids had never even flown on a plane. We had to fly them to Mexico City, and they had never been on a plane. They had never been to any sort of competition. Uh, and despite all that, uh, they showed us that it, it's it was possible. That That's is awesome. freaking awesome. Uh, one of the other things um, that I remember you had mentioned was the the differences in resources that your team had compared to all of the other teams had uh, having um can you go into that a little bit 
Yeah, um, just as a quick, um, so <laughs> um, most teams will, uh, so the cap to spend on your robot, um, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it's either 7K or like 5K. Um, they'll The robotics competition will give you a $1,000 kit to start your robot. Uh, that's what every single team gets. Um, our team had to, because we, we just didn't have the resources, so... <laughs> the kids had even come up with uh, a way to make the motors pull double duty. Um, so it was a much more leaner robot because they had to be because they just didn't have the the resources. Also, like one of the other amazing feats of engineering that they were able to do, they would go out to the junkyard and they took parts from a... Uh, um, washing machine and they took those motors and those were the motors that they ended up doing to make the robot even do a third action so most robots end up they make one motor makes one action and the reason for it is if it fails you know what to fix but if it's if your motor's pulling multiple actions and if it fails then you're you have a major problem and in fact um one of the things that they had to do in competition so um each team, when they when they go in and just shows the resourcefulness and, and just the, the less amount of resources that they can deal with, each team, when they saw, there's this thing called the pit, which is where you fix your robot, you get there before the competition. Our kids had two toolboxes. Every single other team, they were showing me pictures. It's like they had a whole machine shop. It's like, you know, they had a laser cutter, a 3D printer, uh, you know, just in case anything were to fail, you know, they have all the resources uh, there at their disposal. When the robot got to the competition, they found out they were three inches too big, too tall. So... You know, any other team, I think, would have said, hey, like, we messed up, like, that's it, like, no problem. The team from Holland said, hey, come use our shop. You guys should, you guys deserve to, like, play in this, in, in, in the in the games. So, you know, bring in your robot and you guys can, can use all of our pieces. Within an hour, they fixed up the robot. They cut it. They basically, and, and since their robot is also so lean, they had such an understanding of the robot and what the robot was able to do that they were able to cut it just in time and just to the right specifications so that they could participate uh, into that thing and into the competition. Um, so, yeah, it, it with the least amount of resources, I think our robot um, was like an extra $600. I, I know teams that hit the limit and they even come up with crazy ways of figuring out just to cut cost. In other words, they'll use different types of motors and they'll get them super on the cheap just so that they can add more things. Our team works differently. They, they cut stuff because they just can't afford to get those. Dude, that is freaking cool. And like one of the lessons that I absolutely love about that is actually something that I found um, that you do kind of naturally, Carlos, and that it's understanding that it's not necessarily about the, resor the resources, but it's more about the resourcefulness and being able to problem solve and just use what you've got. And I think that's one of the, uh, the biggest lessons is that like so many people are focused on, oh, I need more money or I need more resources in order to be able to accomplish their goals. Um, but one of the reasons why I love the group of people that we have on here is that when you have a higher purpose, you just figure out ways. You have to come up with stuff. Right. And I'm, I know even Byron has had to like in, in order to reach certain goals, you just have to like, well, I, I got to figure something out. I, I know what I want, but I don't know how to get there. So asking people, finding other, uh, you know, finding wise words, people to help. Um, it's just a matter of problem solving. And instead of saying I can't, it's asking how can I? And then when you do something like that, um, you're able to get better answers. So thank you so much for, for sharing that example, Carlos. Um, I know some, like another thing project that you're very involved with in Mexico is a video game development community there. Um, can you go a little bit into like, what's your role and, and how are you participating that way? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I've been a big proponent of of having the video game industry be in Latin America. Uh, I think, you know, we have games like Chris Tales. Uh, there was another one by a Brazilian developer uh, with the uh, Rock Sisyphus Rock. Um, that was also a Brazilian um, um, game developer. So uh, I've been really trying to find out ways to get the San Diego community to interact with the Tijuana game developers community. Uh, and the, I mean, it, it's been very difficult because um, I think uh, the the major barrier sometimes is the border. And currently, I, I think the border is a major barrier because there's even there's people that currently cannot cross over. Um, so that has really put a damper on that sort of like exchange. Um, however, uh, I think we need to come up with ways to facilitate that exchange between, uh, especially because there's a lot of San Diego game developers and the Tijuana game developers, uh, including some of them. Uh, we have Indie Games Mexico, we have Metrics Core, we have Keeper Team, we have, um, there's a couple of uh, teams in Ensenada, and then there's also an, an organization called, um, do, 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 they do uh, GammaCon, which they do an event every year where they just uh, promote basically geek culture, um, and they, but they mostly focus on games, um, which is great. It's it's really awesome that that we're we're kind of having more events that way. Also, there's this uh, organization called Tijuana Innovadora, which is. Uh, trying to uh it's innovative tijuana so it's basically an organization that tries to help tijuana through innovation um whether that be businesses or like they have a fashion thing and they're about to start their video game division uh which i've been uh, just talking back and forth with them of like what are some of the events that they can do and and what they can like try to provide also i was a big proponent for the for the universities say is currently going to do an animation program, which is the uh, University of of uh, uh, Baja California Norte, which is like the, basically the state school for Tijuana, and that is the the route that we need to go if Tijuana and Mexico is going to become a hub for game development, which would be we need to tackle the education issue, which we're currently just not providing enough you know, animation careers, creative writing, creative writing. Uh, I mean, in Mexico, no, it's like, it's that's you become uh, an accountant or a doctor or something else uh, or an engineer, but any sort of the arts is very neglected. Yeah. I I love that. I love that, man. I remember, um, while I was down in San Diego, uh, going to school, they, uh, a couple schools closed down. There was the Art Institute, and there was one other school that that taught game development. And I I felt that ever since then, there's been a really huge void in that whole space in in that in that region. And it, from the sound, from the looks of it, it seems like you're really trying to help fill that void. And I love that you're kind of getting Mexico involved as well, because um, it's really just divided by the border. It's it's still so close to San Diego, and I just think that that's. This is awesome. I love I love the fact that you're really giving back and trying to get the community together. So what what are some things that your organization is currently looking for at the moment? I I know like there's there's so many challenges, especially with um, you know the, the events that the world is going through right now. But what is something that your organization is is looking to like short-term goals and how can listeners out there just be able to participate and help with uh, what you're looking to do? Well, well then, uh, I was like, are we closing? Is this, is the podcast over? Oh snap. Uh, no. Um, yeah. So, uh, I'm currently, um, taking on, uh, a very particular task, which is I'm trying to show, um, build a miracle that they can promote themselves in different avenues. They they've kind of been um, kind of hitting up the same sponsors for a long time. Uh, and that has been something that um, 
really, I, I think it stifles them not only from getting other sponsors, but also the the places they can go. Uh, because a lot of it's really easy to sell a house like, hey, we're going to give this house to this family in Mexico, but it's really hard to sell education. So um, what I've decided to do is that I'm going to be doing uh, streaming and my goal is going to be $50,000 for um, our organization's multimedia program. Um, there's already a lot of kids that do um, that. Uh, I made a very small multimedia room. It's very similar to the setup that I have here at my home. Um, but that multimedia room is going to help other kids, you know, to become TikTokers, to become YouTubers, to become Twitch uh, Twitch streamers, because that's what the kids want to do, you know. And and um, that's also, I think, one of the things that as as a as a young man, um, I was definitely uh, told, hey, you need to do this because of this. But. I remember as I got older, a lot of people told me, oh, yeah, like you're interested in that. Go do that. So, in fact, that's how I got into 3D printing. Um, so I want to take a very similar approach with this multimedia program and tell the kids, hey, look, here's all the equipment. I know this is what you want to do because I've seen your videos. I've seen their TikToks. I've seen their little YouTube channels. There's this uh, there's this girl that teaches sign language, um, uh, a Mexican sign language on on youtube but what she does is she does the full getup. um so she did a, a couple songs from coco um so she will be translating the songs um as she's dancing along and just showing kids with you know subtitles at the bottom and it's, it's very very well done and um we also have another kid that uh he's 12 years old uh israel and uh He's a powerhouse. This kid films his videos, edits his videos, posts them, like comes up with the ideas. And what he's been doing a lot lately, he's really been getting into model kits. So he will show you how to make model kits. Um, and it's just like, it's so amazing because he has like even like different angles, like face, like when he's talking to you about, I'm going to explain to you this model kit. And then it's his hands on a different angle. Um, and you know, he, he understands audio, he understands video editing. Um, so it's, it's pretty incredible. Um, that's why I'm really passionate about really getting this off the ground and I want to continue to have this conversation. So I thought to myself, what's the best way to continue this conversation? Well, I'm just going to be streaming all the time. I'm just going to be streaming two to three times a day, uh, two to three times a week. Um, and I will be doing, um, a lot of talking streams about, Hey, let's talk about charities. Hey, let's talk about game development. Um, so all of my passions into different, uh, talking times and also playing video games, which is what I love doing. That's awesome. And, um, so it sounds like it's, you're still kind of getting it started. Um, is there any official way to donate if, if we were interested, um, I'm sure, I'm sure that you guys would appreciate that. Right. So get better equipment and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, buildamiracle.net definitely has a donation button built in right on it. Um, I'm going to be putting that on all my social medias. So anything that's can workshop, like I will have way easy ways for people to like kind of see, not only see where their donations are going, but see uh, where they can donate. Um, so if you feel more comfortable with even just doing, hey, I shop on Amazon, we will have the affiliate link. So that's already kind of set up through Build a Miracle. Right now, if you go on Amazon and you pick a charity, we're on their list of charities. Um, and if you're local San Diego, uh, I do we do take donations of things like, you know, everyone has an extra laptop lying around somewhere. Uh, we always we always take those as well. Um, but as far and and that's also one of the things the charity has really focused on local. I'm going to try to focus on a wider audience that's like an international audience mm-hmm. and letting them know, hey, you don't have to come down to Tijuana to find out where your money's going. You're going to be able to see where your donations are going through my eyes and through my um, me being involved with the charity because they've definitely let me just 
whatever I want to show and however I want to show it, I will have that ability. Uh, I also have the video editor um, that does our charity videos that will be helping me along with that. Okay, cool. And follow-up question. Um, I recently finished working with an organization that was pretty similar, that they were, they were based out of Massachusetts. So uh, do you guys just do your in-person classes or is there room to do like, like a Zoom class, right? So we talked earlier. Uh, I'm not really doing audio at a professional capacity, but maybe as like a guest speaker coming on, helping teach what I know, uh, is, that, is that a possibility as well? Yeah, and this is also something that, uh, I mean, piggybacking off of that, um, and I think this is something really uh, beautiful that the that the charity has taught me, which is it doesn't matter how you help as long as you help somebody. Um, and, you know, we, we do take we do take online speakers. The only problem is they they have to be in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have translators like I can definitely I'm one of the, the translators that does that for people. But even me hearing that you're already working with another charity, that is to me, that's like a, a wonderful thing um, to like always think about, which is like any single person that's working with a charity. Hey, I couldn't participate in that particular charity. As long as you're participating with a charity, mm-hmm. that's like a wonderful thing to do. Mm-hmm. Or even yourself, like you can just be helping out somebody and just having a chat, you know? Yeah. So one of the things that you touched on was um, receiving donations of physical items. And I know I have helped um, corral monitors, PCs, um, tablets. Uh, what are the types of things that you're looking for just in case anybody has, you know, extra equipment lying around? So for the for my particular part of the charity, which is going to be the multimedia program, um, we just really need electronic equipment that works. Um, that is... Um, one of the things that's like really difficult for us to kind of like acquire, uh, especially because I understand that sometimes through like shipping costs, like it could be more expensive than just, you know, giving it to your local goodwill. Um, so I would highly recommend that if, if that is one of the routes that you want to do, uh, I do have a, a contact page directly on all my social media. I will talk about m- more about it um, for sure in, in some future capacities, but tablets, um, as long as they're not broken, because we also, it's funny because we got like 16 or 17 iPads. And then so I went and I picked up the package from UPS. They were all cracked. Every single one of them was cracked. And I was just like, you know, like I'm not your e-waste uh, disposal unit, you know. Um, so, you know, as long as the equipment works um, and it's not like damaged to a point where, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it can be hazardous basically to a child, then that's that's perfectly OK. Um, because like, for instance, our boards that we use, sometimes it's, it's nice to give just the kids some some stuff to play with. Like we have six uh, snowball microphones, which are the US. Speed regular microphones, and uh, you know uh, we tell them it's like, hey, th- there you go, have at it, you know. And then the XL, uh, the XLRs, yes, this is an XLR. Yeah. The, yeah. the nicer ones, <laughs> um, we keep um, for when they need to do a bigger production. So all of the equipment that's the most reliable equipment that we have at the time is basically top tier. So that top tier stays there till there's another equipment that replaces it. And we've really come up with a way, and this is, I I think every single organization that works in a nonprofit, this is something that usually they don't think about because I know build a miracle sure didn't, which was coming up with a cycle for all of your technical equipment um, is very good thing to have. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by this is what I told them is your computers, no matter how expensive you bought those computers for after, you know, eight years of wear and tear at a charity, they're going to be broken down and a lot of them are just not going to work. So what we do is that as soon as they almost become obsolete, almost and by i mean you'll get one or two more years of use out of the equipment we donate it to kids to have in their home which is like yeah you have a really bad computer but it's at least in your house um 
So that is one of the things that I, I definitely encourage people to have, which is a cycle where all of your equipment goes. Hmm. And touching on that a little bit, um, for the people that don't understand what is the environment of these families that you're helping, can you give like a comparison of what their living situations are like before they actually get a house? Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, living, uh, so, so first of all, they live in a place where it's really far away from the center of the, of town. Uh, so Tijuana is actually um, about the size of San Diego County. So uh, San Diego County, pretty big, pretty big county. Um, however, um, we have, Tijuana basically has uh, 2.8 million, which is, almost the same population as uh, the 3 million of San Diego County, but in about a quarter of the space. So it really causes this issue, not only with population density, but most of our families didn't make it through elementary school, live in these densely populated areas that there's their only method of work is most likely a factory or local jobs that are like warehouse worker or like uh, transportation. A lot of our families work in transportation and they're basically earning about um, just by, for comparison's sake, about $6 an hour. Um, once you take their all of their income into consideration, let's say they have two incomes, they can only afford basically the bare necessities. And um, a lot of them can't afford to go to um, like even uh, high school because high school is supposed to be free in Mexico. However, there's a lot of hidden costs like books, uh, uniforms. Um, in fact, we had this... Uh, this just to kind of give you an idea in a story we had this single mom um so single income so already not doing great living in the shack um and by shack i mean you could see the holes on the roof uh this is all made by a very degraded plywood so wind gets in the hot gets in the cold um uh, the rain, uh, there's dirt floors, and this the single mom of three daughters. Um, we didn't realize what sort of situation she was living in till one day her daughter comes to our community center. So she, her daughter, had been participating with us for a long time, and she told us she started crying because she got changed to the afternoon um, to the afternoon schooling, which in Mexico there's morning school and there's afternoon school for high school. And what we found out is why she was so upset about this was the fact that her mom and her were sharing shoes. So her mom would go to work in the morning and take her daughter's shoes that then she would grab to go to school in the afternoon. So if you change her daughter, she got changed to the morning school, her mom couldn't go to work with shoes. Therefore, her mom could have lost her job. And that is the, the level of poverty that uh, most of our families are living in. And it's crazy to think that it, living in the U.S., there's so many things that we take for granted. I mean, things that um, we just have on a day-to-day -day basis and we like expect these things to be there like there's this community that is in literally you know 20 minutes away from san diego that are in such dire situations and it's just one of those things where instead of deciding to throw away a piece of technology understanding that hey there are people that could actually use it and you know i know it's definitely been eye-opening for me and that's why at least letting people know letting listeners know um there are ways of taking the things that we would you know throw away like they say one man's trash is another man's treasure um so i don't know if someone can can put that to use that's uh that, that's one of the reasons why i wanted to bring you on this podcast yeah for sure and i think also for people um just to also realize that um when 
and I mean, this is a this is a bigger problem that's you know not sort of not related, but just understanding that most of the time when uh, you know Americans when we say recycle, it doesn't usually mean recycle. It just means that it's just going to sit in a landfill somewhere. Um, so even just from an environmental standpoint, just to think that your equipment could have a second life somewhere is you know very very good for sure. And it's crazy because, like, things like CRT TVs, right, that so many, like, people think are obsolete right now, they could absolutely be put to use um, in other communities and in ways that where it's not just a form of entertainment, but it's ways that, you know, students can actually learn and use them as tools to study. Because I remember that was one of those things that you told me is, like, some of the monitors um, that we were able to donate to you were actually being put into people's homes and that's how the kids were getting their schooling because they couldn't physically go to the community centers all right yeah so uh, when when we gave them the tablets too and that this was something that was like really crazy even like this the lowest piece of technology um it could be just such a major help um there was definitely a lot of kids. So now we have uh, the charity has decided that instead of trying to corral all these kids into a community center, which is not COVID safe, um, it would be better for us to put them in people's front yards in small cohorts. So we have 27 education pods, basically, that are out in the community. And those TVs, that's where they live. They live in these this edu these education pods, mm -hmm. and someone might be like, "Hey, you know this this thirty five inch you know old uh, LCD screen. Like, you know, why would anyone want it?" It's like the reason for it is definitely kids are able to see it, kids are able to participate with it. It's definitely uh, a major help, no matter what the technology. Because I've seen kids do online school with cracked phones that are four and a half, like, like the, the small phones, not even the a big phone. No, no, no. Crack screen. And, uh, you know, uh, and uh, just sharing the device with all the different kids just to turn in their homework. So yeah, the pandemic has really shown us a lot of the deficiencies that the education system had. But it really gives us the opportunity. And this, again, the, the government hasn't been helping great, but we really took it as an opportunity to say, how can we do this better? How can we do this cheaper? But in a way that actually benefits someone in the long run, because you can definitely do it really cheap. Uh, we had somebody tell us, hey, it's like we have these hundred dollar computers. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, they, they look fine. Uh, they broke after a little bit. And I was just like, well, you spent all that money where you could have spent $500 on a one good computer. And we could have probably figured out a way to finesse that computer into helping multiple people. So Whatever the resources are, it doesn't matter. It, it more matters on how our community and our community leaders end up implementing the, those solutions. So, you know, thinking lean, definitely uh, for any organization, uh, charities do it really well. Dude, that's awesome. Um, and, and just to hear like the impact that you're having on these families, um, are there any like favorite stories that you have of, you know, a, a, a particular family or particular, you know, member of the family that was able to really just kind of change their life? So, um, I'm going to speak on a, um, a member of our robotics team. Um, so this was uh, a kid that seeing him first, because uh, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of these kids grow up. I've been with the charity for all my life, um, most of my life. So uh, that was definitely one of the, the most eye-opening things, just kind of seeing him grow. But um, this kid named Salomon, Salomon was a a child that was super duper shy. Um, also kind of had a lot of issues with, um, he had a lot of brothers and sisters and he was the middle child. So when you're the middle child, 
not not the best because uh, you kind of get ignored. He really took that I'm getting ignored in in a beautiful direction um, because he started participating with the robotics team and he was telling me it's like I really like 3D printing. And at the time, I think he was like 14 or 15. And I remember having this conversation with him of like, hey, you should go to college. You know, you, you really like engineering. You should go to college for this. And, you know, I didn't finish college, you know, so me telling other kids to go to college, sometimes it's, it's really funny, but he really took that and um, he got really, he was getting really good grades in school. Unfortunately, uh, his dad worked as a construction worker, so he would help him along in the weekends uh, because he was also kind of getting a little bit older. Uh, and then we gave him a full scholarship for high school. And again, like I was explaining before, Sometimes the hidden fees of high school can be the barrier for them not to go to high school. So help them through that. But now um, he got the top grade, the top entry level score that they've had in five years for their engineering program. And he was in our robotics team and he's the one that won that first prize. Um, but he's a, a brilliant engineer. And now, you know, he's like two, three years and he's missing one year, but he has more experience than most of his peers. Plus, he's really smart. So that really, you know, helps him along. But it, Solomon really shows, um, you know, that even the quiet kid, the one that gets ignored, is not necessarily, you know, the kids that's not smart. It's not necessarily the kid that is not going to make it. Um, and that's why I really love his story, because he really uh, took that to heart. And now he teaches other kids how to do 3D printing, which is how I taught him. I just said, you go, here's the machine. All right, let's learn about the machine. And, and he really, he really took that and he ran with it. And now when I see, uh, when I see kids uh, uh, that know how to 3D print, I'm like, I know who taught them. It was Solomon, you know? Awesome. And so yeah. I'm curious, um, you mentioned earlier, I can't remember if that was before or the podcast started or what, but yeah. you said that in Mexico, even listing Excel on your resume can help you stand out. So I'm curious, you teach some pretty high-tech classes, right? You teach robotics, mm -hmm. you have some game development. Um, how common is it for your students to come to those classes and be like, hey, I never realized that I could actually do this. This is something that I want to keep doing. Is that a common occurrence or or can you can you kind of speak on that a little bit? So some of our kids haven't even touched they like they've seen phones, but they never really touch technology. Um in, in other terms, you know, we take it for granted, but I mean you being able to move around your phone and be able to do things and think with your phone is a major advancement and a major leg up that you have. Most of our kids don't have that. So we have to teach them basically from scratch of how do you, you know, move around and how do you, you know, do even basic uh, word. A lot of the times they'll just, uh, they need to turn in uh, assignments uh, and, and those sort of presentations. They just can't, can't even fathom how to turn on the computer. So that's what we, uh, that's what we've been trying to teach our kids, which is just getting them to understand technology can be useful to you. Um, in fact, uh, I, at the summer class, I used to teach this um, 3D printing course and the 3D printing course, all it insisted on, on very practical things. So like one of my workshops was stop the door. And all the kids had to do was 3D print a doorstop for any door that they wanted. So I would, because uh, most of the doors at the community center, basically they open, they have the hinge that, um, that lets it, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, a hinge that lets it uh, kind of swing back and forth. Mm -hmm. The kids would have to stop the door at whatever force it was coming by. So some kids would pick really difficult doors uh, and some kids would pick really easy doors. And 
that what that taught them is it showed them how to um, it showed them how to uh, be able to uh, grab technology and say, okay, I'm going to use a 3D modeling software. The 3D modeling software is later gonna uh, help you to be able to 3D print, and the 3D print needs to be prototyped so that you can use it in the real world. And that jump for kids is really difficult and it's a thing that we have to teach all of the time. And we have to teach it consciously and consistently. Uh, and as soon as you kind of do that a couple times, they, they learn from that and they just know I can use and basically human use tools. That's the, at the, at the end of the day, it's human use tools. And that's what we try to teach our kids. And that's something that has been a major hurdle uh, because they just don't, uh, when adults see kids, they think he's going to break my washing machine. It's like, yes, he's going to break your washing machine, but he's going to learn, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's uh, some of the stuff that we got able, you know, that I'm sure we were able to do as kids, which was, you know, when we had our own computers, programs crash all the time. That's you breaking it. You know, yep. and that's something that our kids didn't have the ability to do. That is such Dude, an interesting is, perspective. It, wow. <laughs> and I, I'm curious, like out, out of all of these different projects that you work on, you know, working with uh, charitable organizations, working with video games. I'm, I'm going to get a little deep with this question, Mr. Carlos, and I want to ask, like, why is it that you do what you do? What's your motivating factors? So I think for me, um, my keyword is always community. Um, you know, it's funny when I see commercials uh, out and, and they, they try to sell me on community because I'm like, you know, I, I remember I saw a Levi's commercial a long time ago and I was so, so insulted by it because it was like, oh, together we're one. And it was all these people putting on Levi's. And I'm like, no, dude, just because you put on a pair of Levi shoes, the Levi pants doesn't mean you have community now. <laughs> Com community is a long road that takes a long time that builds upon itself and it creates connections that no one even thinks possible like that's the that's the beautiful thing about like this is why i'm involved in the you know like for instance san diego makers makers um um uh, have really forged the way i look at technology those are the ones that taught me how to 3d print and uh in my community you know it's like mostly women run so uh they in my community i've been taught uh at the charity uh, that women can you know run uh very you know multifaceted operations and those are those are some things that um sometimes gets like thrown by the wayside or some people are are even put blinders to they say it's like oh no there's no problem here i'm like no there is a problem you know and um i've also taught by uh the the um san diego um game developers uh association about um just being able to make something together and those are um really really wonderful things so what's my motivating factor it's always harpos down to community and how to create that community and how to create that sense of 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 camaraderie between each other um and finding those beautiful connections that get created uh, not from a system, but of people just interacting with each other. Dude, I absolutely love that. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love having these conversations with you, because for me, that's that's part of the peep that that's the type of person that I want in my community. The people that have a heart of service, people that are um, that understand the blessings that they have and understanding that they have the ability to give back to others and make a positive impact on other people's lives. And that's, that's just one of the things that's amazing. That's why we have this empower up podcast to help empower others to, um, to reach their full potential. 
Um, and you're absolutely one of those people where like we've we've known each other for years and the the positive energy that you're always bringing the ways that you um, are giving back to the community and helping uplift that's just one of the reasons why like i'm so i'm honored that you would want to spend time on this podcast and thank you just so much for for blessing me with you know with your energy with your time um and with your positivity so thank you Thank you so much too. And yeah, I, I really appreciate, um, and you know, listening back to some of the episodes too, just thinking about how, uh, you know, even with those, with those conversations, I used to listen to a lot of these type of podcasts, uh, about games and, and game developers. Uh, and that was one of the things that made me stay into being into wanting to still continue that game developer career which was podcasts like this where people just said hey like i'm passionate about the game industry and i want people to be able to join and and make games um because it is such a like once you make a game that's it you're part of the you're part of the thing like you did it you know not a lot of people can say they make a game even attempting to make a game is such a difficult thing um and i think um uh, the people say uh, about uh, uh, not only out of the ordinary but i think for a lot of people the difficult thing is that they don't realize how out of the ordinary making a video game is and and how actually incredible it is that sometimes when they don't reach that goal they say oh well i haven't made a game yet so i must be bad at it that's that's not necessarily the case it's like you just you know it's just such an incredible thing that you're trying to do and you should put that into perspective to know what you're trying to achieve is actually much harder and there's a lot of people that will not be able to do that and if you are able to then you've done something amazing you know, like creating your own app, like Byron, for instance, mm -hmm. like that's incredible. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And, you know, uh, something that I love, too, is that you're um, offering these classes, I, I assume for free or mm -hmm. it's pretty, yeah. pretty. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. So even in America, right, most people get access to that level of equipment at the college level where it's spend a lot of money and it's already prohibitively expensive in America. So the fact that you're doing that in Mexico is awesome i think that's even giving them a leg up and the fact that you're trying to teach these these um these values to them um so early on i just think that goes a long way like even if you don't make a game just having pride in what you're working on as a group it's just it's very important by the way let me show you i actually have it in the back and this i'm going to explain it in audio format so people understand because uh, i understand that this is a podcast I understand. I'll be right back. One second. So I'm just going to take a time uh, to admire Carlos's chair. Oh, yeah. A secret chair. <laughs> it's, a, it's a beautiful, we got a beautiful big chair. <laughs> um, so what I'm holding in my hand currently, it's wood. Uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's actually a board that was made by one of the kids, and he gave it to me as a gift. Uh, I used to teach a um, I used to teach a, a board uh, board game class uh, where I told people I told kids uh, and it, you can't if you can see it in the in the video version by the way you should watch the video version I look really good uh, <laughs> but uh, I have a bunch of board games I basically would take my board games and I would tell kids you're going to modify a board game that already exists. And that's they would learn mechanics. They would learn how to, um, basically the the low modding instead of modding video games, they were modding board games, which is a much easier barrier of entry. So one of the kids, by hand, did this for me, which was a uh, it's sorry, it's just sorry, mm. um, the the board game sorry, and um, it. It's, it was just incredible when he handed it to me because this was maybe four or five years after I had taught the board game class. He sells these now. <laughs> um, awesome. He sells these out of it like in a, and he sells other games as well. And so I was looking up with him and he speaks a language called Yucateco, which is a, a indigenous language. 
And so it really got me interested into thinking um, what are some of the uh, ancient, what are some of the ancient board games the Aztecs would play? Um, and there's this game uh, from Elote, uh, which is a corn, um, that they that they used to play. And what it taught kids, it taught them not only about crop rotation, but it taught them about how constellations moved year round. So it's this really ancient board game that nobody, not many people play, but some, some very adult people like uh, uh, indigenous people that are um, in central Mexico, they do still play this game. Um, but what was so beautiful about it is that we, when, when he handed me this uh, and I told him, I said to him, uh, like, you know, this is, this is a, a beautiful game. And I told him you should research for me about elote and what that is and how it's played and he was able to look into it and he's going to very soon uh be producing the first batch of his uh board game um for elote which i think we would have definitely lost that game at some point and we just need to like there. And in fact, so then it got me into this horrible rabbit hole um, where I was looking into Mesoamerican um, board games. And now I've been like, this has been my, my latest obsession and through his help too, because he's able to, he called a couple cousins and say, Hey, do you guys play this? And they're like, yeah, we play it. Uh, we, we don't play it often, but we play it. Um, so I've been finding a lot of ancient board games that are really interesting because they're all math based mm-hmm. extreme levels of math went into these games just to teach kids very advanced concepts i love it <laughs> gamification at its finest yeah <laughs> oh man dude that is cool and to see something like that and uh like a like one of your students being able to modify a board game and then use it in a way where it can be uh it can help preserve history right that is an, that's an amazing ability to to teach and gamify and and have fun and then learn about somebody's culture and like i'm thinking like how could you turn that into a video game and make that accessible to people around the world because um, i think learning something like that would be so much better than just reading in a textbook right so dude that's cool i would love to be able to like hear more about that in future as this project is being developed yeah and i i think that's something uh that the game industry uh you know it's like we we focus a lot on japan and america as it's funny because we focus america as a market not necessarily as a like yes there are a producer of video games but usually you first first think japan and then you think like america um but you know there's a lot of places where i think you know because board games have been going on for you know, as, for as long as we've been playing games, I mean, I, I saw some of the original bones, uh, uh, bone dice from goats uh, that people used to use. Uh, and I think if we incentivize people to say, hey, like, look, this is how this is another good way to share culture, because a lot of times culture gets shared through food. But I think we can also share that through board games and we can find older board games and just like chess too. Cause I mean, chess went through a lot of iterations before it became chess. I think for a lot of these ancient board games, they still have a long way to go till they meet their modern counterparts, you know? Uh, and, and now, especially knowing so many modern mechanics that work, um, that's definitely one of the things that I do try to encourage people uh, to, to explore. And, and speaking of games and like cultural impacts, I'm curious on a personal level, how have video games positively impacted your life? Video games, uh, everything. Um, <laughs> that I don't think, not only do I not think I would be sitting here without video games, but video games, I think 
was one of the first ways that I learned English. So I'm actually not a native English speaker, believe it or not. Thank you uh, to uh, the Simpsons and video games. Um, and especially uh, the video game part was definitely a thing that got me to learn English at an accelerated level and very quickly. And uh, because everyone spoke English and I actually was taught by a bunch of people from Dublin uh, in World of Warcraft how to speak English. So my accent is not the same as my brother's accent or my dad's accent when uh, when they speak English. So it just goes to show you that I was just a, a, a creation of, of that environment. Um, so for me, video games have taught me and, and have been uh, taught me, have shown me, have um, really created um, who I am as a person, and they still do. And that's also one of the really beautiful things about it, which is uh, now my view on video games is definitely very different. But like, especially when I see game jam games, I love how a game jam game can make, even though I have such a high level of uh, video game literacy game jam games can still make me see it in such a, like I'm like I don't even understand that language of what you're trying to do um, which is really wonderful uh, and really great and I think that's what has been even a more of an impactful thing which is um, since video games just changed so drastically it's helped me along in that sense cool <laughs> oh man But yeah. All right, Mr. Carlos. So, what's 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 next in the journey of Carlos? I mean, like I've known you for for years, and what's like? What are the things that you're looking to do from here from this moment on? Okay, so some of the 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 main things is that I'm definitely getting more involved in the charity aspect. Um, it's been kind of one of those things that I've been moving back and forth. Um, for the longest time, I was definitely trying to get into the AAA space of, of video games. But more and more, I'm starting to realize that that's maybe not a good spot for me. So now I'm really trying to figure out ways just to share in my love of video games and my love of video game creation with other people in the fastest way possible. Um, and it's not necessarily making games, but is encouraging other people to make games or to uh, interact in that way. Um, so working with the charity is number one. And then number two, just uh, making ends meet, which, uh, you know, <laughs> I currently work at a, at a company that lets me do that. I work from home. So now I'm able to kind of set my time uh, much better. Um, but I will be doing more streaming because I think I just need to continue to have these sort of conversations to move forward, not only myself, but like the people around me. That is awesome. I love, awesome. I love the fact that you realize that maybe the AAA space isn't for you, but you've taken the more positive approach of let me encourage others. And you're getting them started earlier. You've started all of these initiatives. You're at the forefront of all these initiatives. And I just think that is, that's, that's awesome. I, I love, it's like Steve said, your energy. It's, it's just, it's so positive. <laughs> Thank you. And regarding these, uh, these upcoming streams that you have, where can people find you? So uh, you can find me at Can Workshop. Basically, anything that says C A N Workshop is me. Um, it, I currently have uh, regular streams when where I play Age of Empires using a, a flight stick, which is that's not how you're supposed to play a real time strategy game, or so I've been told. Um, so that's definitely a good place to find me. I'm also on, uh, Dirty Robots, which is, uh, we'll call it the 18 plus sort of afternoon show. Um, so that's more of a comedy podcast, the comedy podcast. It's a comedy YouTube channel. So we do let's plays. Um, and, uh, other than that, 
Yeah, that's that's um, those are the two projects that I'm currently really focused on, and that's where people can find me. Um, and uh, I will be doing more 3D printing as well because I'm going to be 3D printing a couple of board game pieces as well for a couple of my friends' board games. So um, if you are interested, and I'm also very approachable. I'm currently also. Um, talking to a couple of uh, people that want to get into the game industry, even though I've never been in it, but uh, I definitely will give them the same resources I've been giving throughout the years. So um, if you want to uh, uh, get me on discord, uh, that's also really easy to find. Uh, I hang out in a bunch of different discords and you can always just, you know, book me for an afternoon and we can have a little, a little chat about what you're up to. That's awesome. And, and, uh, as we're wrapping up the podcast, uh, let's, uh, what are some parting words you give to someone who maybe is new to the whole, um, basically a whole space of like giving back to the community? Uh, what are some resources that they can access? I know you have an organization you work with. Um, can you, uh, tell everyone what that is one more time and how best to reach them? Cause I know you said that you already have some avenues in place for donations, whether it be physical, monetary, and, um, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So even time-based for sure. If you want to give us your time, you can let me know and I can let you know where you can, uh, donate there. Uh, but buildamiracle.net, uh, is our website. Um, uh, and in, in buildamiracle.net, you will find our donate button. Uh, if you want to write a little note of, you know, um, where you want your donation to go, that basically would get earmarked uh, towards different programs. Um, if you have equipment that you want to send down to San Diego, uh, we do have as well a way for you to contact us on the website. Or you can find me anywhere, Can Workshop. My, all my DMs are open uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Twitch, on YouTube. Uh, da, 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 da. and yeah, like my parting words for anyone trying to, uh, I, I don't want to call it make a difference. I think, you know, I've gotten as much back from me giving as given has, as giving has given me. Um, so I would say always just have an open heart, have an open mind and give to whatever uh, it could be your neighbor that needs help with their gutters. It could be, you know, some kid across the world that just needs someone to talk to. Um, so it doesn't matter where you give as long as you give. And if more of us just do that and, you know, say, I'm going to spend this amount of time just giving, it will be all better. Awesome. Well, Thanks, Carlos. Uh, really appreciate having you on the podcast. Um, I'd love to have you back on for another future episode. See what you're up to um, as your organization gets more, um, you know, gets more developed and everything. I'd love to hear more about what's going on there. And congratulations again on the robotics thing. That story was was awesome. I loved hearing about the challenges that your students overcame, especially with uh, the. <laughs> The, the limited budget that they had to build it too. Yep. Thank you so much for inviting me as well. All right. See you guys. See ya.